What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to Real Chronicles, brought to you by RealTalking.com. I am your host, David. I am joined with today, Mr. Jack Renault. How are you today, buddy? I'm doing very well. I'm super excited and also kind of nervous to tackle this movie because it's basically just become a behemoth of just culture the last 45 years. So I'm really excited, though. I agree. I think... um my goal when I was looking at the fun facts that I usually cover when we cover a film, um, I try to do the most obscure thing that not anyone may know because this movie is such in the pantheon of pop culture. And re- and welcoming back as well, Mr. Leo, who has not been here for a while. I got lost on my way to Tatooine, but I finally made my way back. So. How How are you, buddy? It's been a while. A lot of sand people. A lot of sand people. That's but, good. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you, you you got the grays going like Obi Wan. I think you oh. got you guys have been hanging out. I got the memo. I got the memo. Absolutely. Those, those, uh, I had decided to grow out my beard and um, and put on my cloak. <laughs> and Ryan is back from the quick stop. Oh yeah, went from the quick stop to the Death Star, and I love it. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, today we're actually covering. Every year I like to do this on a podcast, have a Star Wars-based episode for the Star Wars Day, even though that was a few days ago. But uh, this year feels extra special because it's the 45th anniversary of one of my favorite movies of all time, Star Wars. We're not calling it Star Wars A New Hope. We're calling it Star Wars because that's exactly what it was called in 1977. (laughs) And we are not monsters. Good Uh, man. Good man. Let's kick it off. Episode four. You forget the episode four part. Stop it, Ryan. Let's get into the news of the week. <laughs> um, this was covered. This wasn't really covered by us, but it was pretty much covered by everybody last week. So I did want to touch base a little bit on CinemaCon 2022. Um, highlight being uh, Jason Sudeikis serving Olivia Wilde on stage during the Don't, Don't, Don't Worry Darling trailer. Obviously, it wasn't his choice to do it at that during that, but it was just like in, incredible that the timing there. Um, but which leads me into the trailer that was released for Don't Worry Darling. And we, you know, we're going to have a lot of trailer talks today. But uh, I loved it. I am a huge fan of Booksmart. And I think this looks like exactly a perfect follow up because it's a, it feels like a completely different tone. And Flow, Flo, I, I just love Flow. And I think Flow can do no wrong. So I just can't wait to see her knock this out of the park. Lee, I'll start off with you. What do you think of the trailer? Uh, same, same, same. Uh, I didn't know it was Olivia Wilde that was attached to it. Um, I watched the trailer uh, maybe a few days ago during Doctor Strange, and uh, the it just it looked super trippy, right? It mm-hmm. lulls you into a sense of like, oh, it's gonna be a 1950s uh about just um relationships roles or yeah. something, yeah, or marriage, and then it gets a little bit more psychedelic and like uh i i i think it's gonna be a psychological thriller i mm-hmm. i loved it the cast looks stacked with a a lot of mcu alums yes <laughs> and uh no I'm, I'm i'm all for it you explained that it was olivia wilde and i'm like oh shoot this is gonna be awesome jack did you get a chance to check that trailer out? i did um at first i was a little just like skeptical because they kind of put like they they kind of kept the plot like under wraps mm-hmm. and it just kind of looked like a rom-com just like by the promotional post uh, pictures that they put out but 
after I saw that trailer, I was definitely a lot more sold. I did like Booksmart a lot, and I do like uh, Florence Pugh, and Harry Styles has been a pretty decent actor from everything I've seen him in so far, like Dunkirk, for example. So I'm definitely excited to see what he gets to do in having an actual lead role in a major motion picture. But I'm definitely a lot more excited than I was uh, two weeks ago. Awesome. And then, Ryan, I'll skip you because I am sure you did not see this trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some surprises. Listen, I have been on record in saying for years on here, I don't like Baz Luhrmann. I don't think Baz Luhrmann is a good filmmaker. I think Baz Luhrmann should not be given keys to projects I'm excited for. But unfortunately, he has. Example, The Great Gatsby. And um, when hearing about the Elvis film, I was like, oh, man, could it be anyone but Baz Luhrmann? And then I hear that the movie's three hours. However, they showed the first 10 minutes at CinemaCon, and it is getting rave reviews. And the anticipation is actually up there. The trailer, Tom Hanks looks terrible, but Austin Butler looks pretty incredible. So I'm actually excited for both performances for very different reasons. Um <laughs> Jack, I'll kick it off with you on this one. What do you think of that? Uh, just the Elvis news as a whole, that it might actually be good. Yeah, I'm on the same boat about Baz. Like, every movie I've seen hasn't really wowed me the way it has some people. I would definitely say Moulin Rouge is really the only one that's gotten close to that point. I wasn't huge on the Romeo and Juliet or Great Gatsby movies, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the same way you are. I think Tom Hanks kind of weird in that trailer he kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of the international immobile kind of a really sounds almost phony southern accent but again austin butler looks unreal as elvis and he all, he looks really good across all the different parts of his life that i've seen in the trailer so i'm definitely really excited to see the movie for him and then i could also be surprised by tom hanks too yeah for me i don't like um mostly anything outside of romeo and juliet i'm actually a fan of that uh, iteration leo are you a baz Luhrmann fan uh, so it's funny i i liked you couldn't help but at least like romeo and Juliet because of when it came out it Agreed. was dicaprio we were like it was like 1996 i think and like everything was right with the world <laughs> um but uh, it's weird. I feel like the the, the runtime still 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 scares me. I still think that it can like the ten minute like screening like, that'd be pretty cool. But like and three hours of it, I think Lerman can kind of get a little too cute. Poor poor man, Danny Elfman, like just visually. And I feel like I I, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to to put up with three hours for it. But from what you've said so far about Tom Hanks, um. BT- yeah, uh, I'm still like I'm, I'm I'm still on the fence. BT Dub, uh, where was Paul Giamatti? Why couldn't he play Tom Hanks' role? <laughs> yeah, really. He literally he, plays he, a music producer in every movie now. So yeah, uh, Love Mercy, straight out of Compton. He's like, literally like the dick manager. Exactly. Of, like, so many artists. Uh, Ryan, I, I'm not sure if you're a fan of Baz, but just the Elvis idea as a whole. Are you interested? I can't. Um, I don't have anything on Baz, but the Elvis stuff I'm definitely interested in. But the th- I'm with Leo. That three hour runtime, <clears throat> excuse me, is a little weary for me. I'm like, do I need a three hour Elvis movie? Like maybe two hours, perfect, you know. But that's you know. I was hoping thinking. like two twenty five. That's kind of like yeah, where I two, the sweet two, spot. two and a half is like golden, golden biopic spot. Really great. Um, and then 
to finish off, I'm just going to finish off with the three or four most exciting things because there was a lot of CinemaCon. Number one, everything I heard about the Wonka footage. Let's fucking go. It's going to be a musical. Timothy Shamalama Ding Dong is going to be dancing all over the place. Let's fucking go. I, that's all I want. I I want. Who's, who's directing it again? Um, one second, I will get that for you while um I bring up the other thing that excited me. Um, I will say honestly, the thing that excited me the most is Barbie. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't mm. wait. I really cannot wait. I, I, and uh, I hope you agree with me, Jack, on this. Original screenplay contender next year. Dependent on where I mean, fantastic. I, I think fantastic. Mr. Fox might have gotten in its year. So like, we're certainly not, it's certainly not out of left field to see like something maybe a bit more aimed towards children getting into like the big categories, but Oh man, it just, just seeing I mean, that but, picture but, is, but Brett, Brett is Greta Gerwig writing it too. So right now it's Greta's directing and co-writing with Noah Baumbach. Come on, oh, man. come on. Wow. I mean, <laughs> like I, I, it's I'm, entirely possible with those names behind it. And the yes. best news about it is that it's releasing it on the same day as Oppenheimer. <laughs> and <laughs> and Warner Brothers is just like, Christopher Nolan, you want to leave us? All right, we'll give you Barbie. Let's go. I, 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 told, I told the group chat, I was like, if you thought the Northman unbearable weight was a great double feature, just wait till 2023 with Oppenheimer and Barbie. Same. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to answer your question about Wonka, I'm even more excited because I actually forgot that um, the director is Paul King, who also directed the two Paddington movies. Ooh, so okay. yeah, like yeah, I'm sold. Bring Let's go. <laughs> um, also, the other thing that really excited me was the footage that was shown of Babylon. Which, if anyone knows me for the past five years on this podcast, I live and breathe Damien Chazelle and an old Hollywood movie about Damien, about the golden age and the transition from the silence to the talkies that take place over 30 years. And, and it's three hours long. Come on. Like, come on. That, that, that's perfect. Uh, horror for horror fans. Um, they showed the first trailer at Halloween and, and I don't know, man, <laughs> I hope, I hope it ends somewhat. Oh, yeah. decently, man. <laughs> I, I don't even, I have zero expectations. It's actually still in my most anticipated films of the year. Cause I just love the franchise, but I don't have, too too high hopes um oh how could i forget this new trailer for crimes of the future was shown which we're going to talk about in a little bit when i go over some other trailers uh so yeah that wraps up CinemaCon. next bit of news that i have here is uh justin lee justin lynn leaves the fast and furious fan uh franchise uh he says i don't need 20 million dollars if i have to sit with vin diesel for six months um and he was replaced with lois lewis Latirer, who is best known for directing Leo's favorite MCU film, The Incredible Hulk. Um, <laughs> just like the idea of Justin Lin saying, yo, I'm done with Vin Diesel makes me happy. Uh, Leo, what do you think? Uh, uh, I mean, is that the last thing he did, Incredible Hulk? Please tell me there's been uh, he, he did something else. I don't remember, though, but he's best known for Incredible Hulk. Jeez, that best known for? That was the peak? <laughs> I like The Incredible Hulk. I don't think it's excellent. Can, can can we agree that if Mark Ruffalo was there instead of Ed Norton, you would like him more? Um, no, you know what? I think you're right. I think it's not that bad. I mean, it's not for Dark World or anything like that. It's not Dark World. Yeah, it's definitely not Dark World. It's like it's, I think it's like un 
it's on the bottom tier, but it's only because there's so many awesome things above it. I think I'm, 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 I'll watch. I'll watch. I'm on this freaking podcast, so you know I'm going to watch. <laughs> oh, and he's also known for Jack's favorite remake of all time, Clash of the Titans. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Ryan, have you still not seen a Fast and the Furious movie yet? Nothing past, nothing after Fast Five, Fast Five and up. Wait, so you haven't seen Fast Five? No. You literally are missing the ones with the Rock, and you're you run a wrestling podcast. <laughs> I know. Well, because I was watching with Casey, and then she tapped out. So you know. Let me tell you, I don't know if the guys will agree. The one, anything with the Rock except Fa- uh, Fate of the Furious is the best that franchise has ever been. So I'll try to get her back on the board, but if not, I'll just do it myself. And then the last two bits of news: uh, Emancipation moves to 2023. Not shocked after the whole Will Smith fiasco. Um, my guess is that they're just going to dump it next year. Uh, nothing tells me that an Antoine Fuqua movie is going to be an Oscar player, so I don't know why they don't just drop it this year. And then, I mean, uh, I mean, has one been since in, since Training Day? No, I don't even. Th- and listen, I don't know. I don't even think Training Day is an excellent well, movie. Well, that was also Denzel was the sole nomination for that movie, yeah. right? I don't. I think it's the only time a movie's ever an acting win has ever been. Um. It's only nomination and like, wasn't I? I thought Beginners did that with uh, Christopher Plummer. I mean, was that in the two thousands? Oh, two thousand eleven. Okay, I stand corrected. And I could have sworn that he was the only one in the two thousands that had done it. Um, But yeah, I'm not excited for it. I'm not really an Anton Fuqua fan. So, and then uh, to finish up on the news before we get to what we watched, uh, some of the trailers that dropped this week. uh, I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna finish with the one that I'm the only one that saw it. so, Crimes of the Future is the first trailer. Shh, inject this into my veins as soon as possible. <laughs> this second trailer. Have you guys seen the second trailer yet? I've uh, only seen the first. Only seen the first. So this- I, 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 I kind of want to just hold on to that. Just nah. the first one. You can see it with only that. Do it. Um, this excited me more because I know now what it's about. Um, the only thing that I'll... I'm, I'm not going to spoil the trailer, but the only thing I'll say is that in this world of David Cronenberg... Um, no one can feel pain. So that's, that's all I'm going to say. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The trailer goes, the trailer has some interesting shots. Uh, the other trailer that I think everyone saw here is the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer. Uh, so Leo, I'll kick it off with you. What do you think of the Obi-Wan trailer? Oh, I mean, it, it, it looks, I'm cautious again because <laughs> of what happened with the freaking book of Boba Fett, <laughs> but, but this one gave me everything I wanted to see, at least out of the trailer. Um, McGregor looks fantastic. The little call-outs to the greater Star Wars universe. I guess I got a sense of when this takes place as well, which was really helpful. Um, but after Book of Boba Fett, cautiously optimistic. Jack, what about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat, cautiously optimistic. Uh this is certainly a series. I'm in the same boat. I loved Mandalorian. I was pretty eh on Boba Fett. Um, but this is taking place during like a time period that I'm kind of aware of. Like I know what pretty much Obi Wan is doing at this time. Like he's and it was always something that I always wondered. Like he like he after he drops him off. Like what does he do for the next like I don't know twenty years? So I'm really excited to get into that. And then the poster that came along with it. It's gorgeous. 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 Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh Ryan, what about you? I guess I'm the only one uh that's just all in on this. Um I 
I get the Book of Boba Fett, you know, put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth, but it ended strong. When it switched completely tones, that's why I think yeah. the guys are. are. <laughs> no, disagreeing with you there, but I'm just saying it at least ended strong, and I'm not for, trust me, it's the, the worst thing since that Disney Plus has put out that I've seen. Oh, you haven't um, seen The Bad Batch, my friend. <laughs> the Bad Batch is so bad. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. But it's very, very bad. <laughs> um, but no, I'm just all in the trailer. Looks phenomenal, and I just can't wait. Yeah, for me, I am. I see Leo's point. I see Jack's point. I, with the parties involved on this specific show, I feel mm-hmm. much more confident than I do about Book of Boba Fett. The, uh, the, you know, I'm always cautiously optimistic about mostly everything, but um. I don't think Ewan comes back without it being a solid script. Like I don't. I don't this yeah. is at the. This yeah. is like in, in a couple of weeks, right? Like May twenty uh, seven. Yeah, three weeks. Yeah, yeah and, the month. and I can't wait for the conversation to start about. Oh, we always loved Hayden Christensen. Yeah. The, I can't wait for that conversation <laughs> to start. And I'm like, yeah, I listen. He's not the reason those movies are not great. I just I've always said that on here. Um, and I also think he's very good in three. So I I actually am very oh, excited for three. that. Uh, the Second to last trailer. I hope I'm not the only one that saw it. Did you guys see the Cobra Kai five trailer? Yes. Oh no, yes. All right. I'm gonna put this on Front Street. I was t- we we're talking to Jack and I were talking to uh, Helmer, uh, friend of the show, about this. So we think, and I don't know if Jack agrees. I think the trailer. I'm so excited for it, and I will put com- complete trust in the in the creative team behind it. I got feelings of Johnny's going to be chilling in Mexico the whole season, and it makes me very scared that he's not going to be in the main front line of the story. I hope that this is two episodes, and that's it, or, and we're back, and every, everyone's back together in, in a way. That's my big concern. Uh, Leah, what do you think? I think I, I got the same air that you said. Yeah, I got I got a little bit apprehensive. I'm, I'm not sure. This must have all been filmed post or Post-COVID. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, filmed last year. Actually, when season four premiered, they were just finishing up season five. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the restrictions weren't as severe, so I'm, I'm interested to hear, like, maybe what was the cause for it. Maybe it was just straight up the, the storyline, or maybe the, they, they changed any writers since then? No, same showrunners. Showrunners have a yeah. six-season six plan. I mean, they may also just be playing with us on the trailer. Just I hope to kind of, so. like, lull, lull us into a sense of, like, false false security, and then, bam. I, I hope, and before I get to Jack, I hope that Miguel has a redemption arc because he went from one of my favorite characters to literally yeah. one of my most disliked characters on the show. Uh, Jack Hawk is my favorite now. <laughs> uh, for me, it's Tori, and Tori and Hawk are literally my top two. Well, Jack, what about you? Yeah, uh, same boat as you guys. Um, and same boat about Miguel. Like he used to, he he was my favorite. Um, from season one, like through season three, even mm-hmm. when he wasn't like fighting, I just loved his whole story arc in season three. But season four, I just started to like not care about him. And I also think uh, Hawk and Tori are probably my two favorites as well. Not a huge Daniel LaRusso fan. <laughs> um, I, I, um, Jack, this is why we get along so well. You, you know, this is an anti Daniel LaRusso podcast. We don't, we don't. And then and... wrong with the Jersey boy. Excuse me, Ryan. <laughs> I just saying that to get under your skin. You're probably a fan of Ali with an eye too. So, uh... <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. But also, you you said they have a six season plan, right? Yes. 
good because I was start because there have been many points where I was like, this is like a really good spot to like begin wrapping things up, but mm-hmm. they just keep like extending it. I'm like, how further can you go? Because I certainly don't want to oversaturate the show for myself personally because I love the show a lot. But me too. I don't if think... it turns into like a ten season thing, that's definitely gonna. I personally don't think that they've had a bad season at all. Like nothing close yeah, to a bad yeah. season. Um, so yeah. I'm I'm with you. Uh, and in the last trailer, I'm the only one that can talk about it. Actually, no, maybe Leo can talk about it. Did uh, the Avatar trailer? Oh yeah, yeah. Or teaser, oh, I, I guess. <laughs> oh, you can talk about it too, Rye. I saw it. I saw it when I saw Strange. Okay, so I had a interesting press screening experience with this. It was in the same theater, but not the same theater uh, that I saw Doctor Strange at on Monday. Um, so. They gave me. They gave us three D glasses, so we saw with the three D glasses. All right. So here's what I here's what I have to think. I don't like Avatar. I think Avatar is one of the most overrated movies ever made. And anyone that likes Avatar is like needs a knock on the head. Uh, shout out to a few people that we know. Um, <laughs> I think this trailer, while things look very pretty, it doesn't feel like the technology has advanced much for that property in fifteen years. Like I think it, there's no denying the movie looks really gorgeous, but for something that took 15 years or 14 years or whatever long it took to come out, I don't feel like they've created any new technology that makes me say, "Yo, you know what? That wait was warranted." However, what I am very curious about, maybe that is what the, the technology that they're saving is the underwater stuff. But there are aspects that feel mostly like an animated film, so it's like a slippery slope there. Uh, so, Leo, what did you think of the trailer? So, it's, I, I love the fact that you started by saying this that you 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 aren't a fan of it. I can't remember if I'm a fan or a fan of it because it's been 15 years <laughs> since the first one came out. It's the highest grossing like, film of all time, you know. Like, jeez, man! Like, and honestly, when I it was it was lukewarm when I saw it on stay uh, on the screen, I was like, oh, okay, this is coming back, huh? Nothing really has changed to call out your the mention of the technology not really doing anything. It looks like it looks like deleted scenes from part one. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. I fell asleep the first time I saw Avatar in twenty in two thousand nine, <laughs> like completely knocked out. Um, yeah, I mean the stack the cast is stacked, so I mean I'm I'm gonna watch it obviously. But now, um, do we know if like the the stacked cast is mostly gonna be the voice acting cast or is it gonna be like the so the, if I remember, uh, if I remember, action cast. if I remember correctly, I think doesn't um, uh, what the hell is his name? Sam Worthington become like, yeah, one with Worthington. With... Worthington was one of the ones that was like between both of the casts because he was like in the live action, and then he put on the machine, and then went into Avatar world. Yeah, so I, I I'm guessing it's going to be a highlight of both. I, I just hope Kate Winslet isn't wasted because knowing that she's uh, going to be in it, I kind of want her to guarantee do her you thing. she's playing a tree. I guarantee you she's playing I, a tree. I read somewhere that she's playing a whale. But um, I guess we'll find out. Ryan, what about you? What do you think? I like it's beautiful, but besides that, there's absolutely no interest to me for Avatar. Uh, Jack, you didn't see the trailer, but just from what you heard. Well, actually, well, maybe I didn't see the same one. But while you guys were talking, I just looked up Avatar trailer on my phone. I don't. I'm not sure if it's the same one, but I found a couple. Okay. yeah, I'm on the same. I, I'm like you when it comes to the first one. Um, not a huge fan of the first Avatar movie. I think it's a really well-made movie and it looks great. But in terms of rewatchability, 
maybe when it gets re-released into theaters so I can actually see it on like a big screen, but certainly not one that I like to pop in at home. That's for sure. But <laughs> yeah, for me, the next time I see it will probably be when the 4k releases at the end of the year. That's probably and, what I'm waiting and, for. And like, and like you were saying, um, it, it's also just kind of the thing where it's like, did the 14 year wait warrant the release? We'll see. So it, you... maybe I would have been more excited if it was like a while back, but let me ask you this. Um, I guess Shaq is the Oscar guy with me here. Do you think it gets into picture? Probably. Because I'm at it, no. It would need to gross like $1.8 billion. And it would I, need to go hard at the box office. And because I, I think this I, one will do well at the box office. The next three won't. I think this one will for the curiosity of 14 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. um I'm not sure. I, I I know they like to now put blockbusters in now that they have the set 10, so they've got like that wiggle room, but I don't know what it would be this year necessarily. Batman? Like, bat, bat, I think, yeah, I think the Batman's pretty likely, but it would have to maintain the March release curse, which certainly hurts a lot of people. Yeah, I, I'm with um, you. I think the last March release to get a Best Picture nom was Budapest. I yeah. Believe. Uh, but well, yeah, I, I know that was yeah. So uh, we'll see. I, I can tell you this, despite the fact that we're not interested in the property itself, visual effects is over. I mean, that, that I don't. Yeah. Even, no one should really even be nominated. They should just give it the Oscar already. It's over. Um, and then yeah, that's pretty much all the news for the week. Uh, let's get into what we watched. Ryan, I'll start with you because you had a busy week, so I don't think you have that much, right? All I got is Doctor Strange. All right, great. So we'll talk about that in a moment. Leo, what about you? Uh, we got Doctor Strange, Moon Knight. Um, Oof. <laughs> I know you're not a fan, but uh, the finale I thought was, it's the finale was okay. The post credit scene was awesome. Do I need? Um, to, am I going to care about the post credit, or is it more within the show? No, no. Well, it, unless unless you're bought into the Moon Knight. Oh, okay. As okay. a franchise, now nah, you really don't need to. Um, I'm still pushing through on the CW's uh, DC properties. Well, you don't have Super to excited. anymore, my friend. <laughs> I know. I forgot to mention that. You're, I'm so excited for you. You you made me so happy. You made me so happy. Uh, but yeah, uh, Batwoman has been canceled, as has Legends of Tomorrow. So the CW properties have now dwindled to The Flash and Superman and I guess the upcoming Gotham Knights uh, show that's going to premiere. But Can Flash... I one thing on that real quick to the... Oh. Sorry. Which one? To uh, the fact that you're reveling in legends being gone if anything i would like legends to still be around and flash to be gone i think uh, I, I, mean, I think they should all go except superman there you go there you go look the, the things that the flash at least the flash has much like arrow happened towards the end of it they lost their identities the reason people are tuning in is to watch stories about the flash not yeah. about his side characters not about his little sidekicks and i think that's where arrow went wrong that's where flash is currently going wrong um, and honestly, I think Legends just like drove into it. They were like, we're going to be a, a show about many different characters, but the rotating cast every single season. And it just became a little too wonky for me compared to all the other stuff that's being put out with DC, with Peacemaker. And then even their animated stuff is less wonky than Legends of Tomorrow. But either way, Flash is still trudging through. 
Uh, Superman, on the other hand, is doing fantastic. I I, that- I'm about three episodes behind, but that show is incredible. No, spoilers, I love, I yeah, love but- that. I oh. absolutely love that show. I, I think Jack, I, I, I said this on here, not with you on. I think this is the best portrayal of Superman live action since Christopher Reeve. Mm. Yeah, mm. like it's oh. easily the, like it's insane to have a discussion with people that like love. I think Henry Cavill's a good Superman, but yeah. they don't un, like the creative forces behind that version of Superman just doesn't get the character. This show gets what Superman is about, and it's and I just love the portrait. I think it's excellent, and they show they do an homage to uh, the costume worn in the first appearance of Superman, which oh, is yeah, fantastic. They- mm. Sorry, Leo. Sorry to cut you off. Uh, Dave, Dave, when you get to the when you get to three episodes from where you are now, yeah, um, absolutely hit me up. I want to know how you how you say they land this moment. And you're absolutely right about the portrayal. I think the actor is doing a fantastic job. I think the writing. I think the writers get Superman too. I agree. Um, but uh, other than that, I saw Wanda. I rewatched WandaVision in preparation for Doctor Strange. Um, and I told you this offline. I was caught in this like docu-series whole so mm-hmm. i watched like we crashed and the dropout um both were fantastic series with amazing um portrayals because then you compare it to the documentaries that they have about the same stories and i mean jared leto did fantastic hathaway did fantastic and um and amanda seafried killed it in the dropout um so if you guys get a chance to watch either we crashed or the dropout i think both are on hulu uh, we crashes on Apple. Um, definitely recommended. All right, sounds good. And then um, I'm gonna save my last three to talk about with Jack because I know we're gonna transition into that. So I'll run through mine real quick. So I saw Curse Films. I started watching that docu series on Shutter, which is about Curse Films, not just horror, but all different types of films. Uh, some interesting stuff on that documentary. I just finished the Wizard of Oz episode, which was pretty interesting. I mean, I knew most of this stuff, but just them diving into the Wizard of Oz. Uh, curse aspect to it. It was very interesting. Um, I saw this is more for Leo and maybe Ryan. I saw White Hot: The Rise of Abercrombie and Fitch on Netflix. Oh shoot! <laughs> um, it's very interesting. Um, I mean, listen, Leo and I, maybe Ryan will know how big Abercrombie was in the nineties, but just how. But it's crazy. Like I could, like I knew Abercrombie wasn't for me. I owned one shirt. And I barely fit in it because a large for Abercrombie is like a medium for like normal people. Um, so we knew what type of demo they were going for. So the documentary does touch on that. Uh, it falls off the falls off the rails after the end. Um, I saw Hatching, a new horror film, a Finnish horror film, which oh, is this is the one that had the poster that you tweeted with yeah, the egg. <laughs> it's one of my favorite films of the year. It's one of the best horror films of the year, uh, probably outside of X, the best horror film I've seen this year so far. Uh, highly recommended if you guys can catch it uh, wherever it's streaming. I think it's on, not on Shutter, but I think it's on VOD. Um, I saw, uh, shout out to Joe Bob Briggs. I saw Black Sunday, uh, which is a 1960s horror film. And then I saw this 1990 Samuel L. Jackson starring vehicle called Death by Temptation. It's about a witch. It's directed by James Bond III and also stars James Bond III. <laughs> what? It's actually pretty good. It's it's not it's nothing how great. Did, I, how some, did this movie find its way onto your radar? Uh, it was on this week's last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs. Oh, gotcha, yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. I see Jack writing it down. I, I I feel like I will get a Death by Temptation review soon. It's uh, very tame, Samuel. L., gotta say, uh, 
but just the aspect of like it's directed and stars James Bond the third. I just feel like it's it was a must. Um, I also saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre: New Generation, which stars the debut films of Academy Award winner winner Renee Zellweger and Academy Award winner Matthew McConaughey. This movie was filmed in 1993 prior to their actual film release of Days and Confused. And it was held by the studio for three years. And once um, McConaughey and Zellweger got big, they released the film in 1996, 97. Yeah, it's fucking insane. Like, I let me tell you, like, I thought I actually had avoided this one. I, I saw snippets of it when I was younger, but like avoided watching the whole thing. I didn't think that Renee and Matthew were leads. Oh, you're fucking leads. Like, Renee's the final girl, and Matthew's basically a leather, Leatherface's right hand man. And he has a mechanical leg that he uses with a 1995 Zenith remote control. Um, oh my God, it's ridiculous. And you can find it on HBO Max because God bless them for having it on there. Wow. This is the perfect Mother's Day gift. Absolutely. <laughs> um, this most disappointing thing I saw was a mystery of Mar- Marilyn Monroe. I was very excited for that docuseries, but it continues what Netflix loves to do. Hype up docuseries about true crimes and absolutely disappoint. It was not really anything that I would recommend. Uh, official competition, also a movie that should be coming out in late June. Excellent. Uh, Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas are incredible in it. Uh, one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, and then is there anything else? Uh, Doctor Strange that we're going to talk about in a moment. And then <laughs> this is where I, I pass it off to Jack. I saw <sighs> shout out to Alexander Helmer. The bane of our existence for making us watch this. And Anyolo. And Anyolo. Three hundred sixty-five days and three hundred sixty-five days this day. Wait, isn't this like the weird, like, uh, freaking sexy time movie? Yeah, like the remake or not remake, but like the other version of like the Oh no, it's Fifty Shades of Grey. It's actually based on real books. Yeah, these are. (laughs) You guys had to watch this for that. Just. We were told. Just we were, why not? They, they they were hype. They were hyping it up so much. We were just kind of like, we got to see this. Three six. I'm gonna say that 365 days is one of the. They're two of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, For all our listeners, I just can I just say that Dave literally had to adjust his microphone to make sure that everyone could hear what he's about to say about this movie. I think these are two of the worst movies ever made. I don't understand. Well, I do understand why Netflix greenlit a sequel because it was pretty much number one on Netflix for a very long time. Yeah. It kind of, I don't know what people's tastes are. That's so funny to me. It's, (laughs) there's nothing good about it. The screenplay is awful. The sex feels like 1990 Skinamax. There's really nothing about it that makes me even think this is so bad it's good. Now, the sequel, however. Yes. The sequel, however, has some legs on it. You'll never look at golf and putting the same way again. That's all I want to say about that. You'll never look at gardening the same way again. And you will never look at movie deaths the same again. Because I have a... <laughs> I, can't, I don't want to spoil it. Maybe Leo will decide to watch it one day. It's not. They're not long. They're 100 minutes. Uh, but Jack had the best line when he started watching about you timed how much sex is in this movie. Jack, if you want to take over. Yeah, it was like I it was probably the first 20 minutes and I realized that I was like, wait, we're 20 minutes in and there's already been five different sex scenes. So 
You've got like it's like how airplane does joke density. It's like that, but with sex scenes in 365. Uh-huh. Specifically, the sequel. The sequel. The sequel is like Evil Dead 2. It just takes like what they thought worked from just the first and go. just goes absolutely insane <laughs> with it. Um, and the other thing I mentioned to Dave, um, we, we we've been talking a lot recently about um like needle drops in movies, like <laughs> popular like popular songs like getting used like in movies. This movie just had probably like the worst needle drops just across the board. Like every song inclusion just felt so jarring and out of place. And it just completely took me out of any like anything in the movie. And it was just like, wow. So when there's not sex scenes, there's needle drops. Yes, they are. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes during sex and, scenes. And there's... Sometimes there's both. Yeah. <laughs> Leo, have, have we? I got to ask, have we convinced you just a little bit? I mean, look, if Netflix couldn't get me to watch it by putting this on their, like, recommended for everybody over, like, months Wait, time. were you recommended this? So, yeah, this kept popping up on my recommended. Leo, what are you watching on Netflix? And it kept popping up on cinema, too. Like, uh, on cinema's, like, most popular yeah. things being watched. And I'm like, so it's funny because, like, the, the cover of it was just, like, the number 365. I, I was hoping for a, an apocalyptic thriller of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, what is this movie? I'm like, oh, this just looks like... This is Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> the, the, the weirder thing was after I finished watching the first one, it, it gave me like my recommendation. It was like because you watch this, you might like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And I was just like, all right, <laughs> like wh- what a double feature. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny. Like it, this, this, these two movies have made me appreciate uh, Fifty Shades more because at least they had the decency of getting Dakota Johnson and. Um, <laughs> Oh my god, and um, oh my god, Jamie Dornan. <laughs> At least they have two good actors in this. Um, but what else you got, Jack? Anything else you want to highlight? Yeah, I, uh, I haven't been on to do a what I've watched recently in a while, so I've had to go back and look through a bunch of old stuff that I've watched over the last like month and see what were the good stuff. So we had those two movies. We also had Fade to Black. Let's go! The movie that you put me on, Dave. and Probably my favorite of the 80s horror I've watched so far. It's about a cinephile who's into old movies who slowly begins to descend into madness and starts killing people in references and homages to classic movies such as uh, Dracula, Psycho, and yeah, it's just absolutely insane and right up my alley. Um, Then I rewatched Jaws and the 1933 King Kong, just classic comfort watches for me. And then last night, (laughs) <laughs> Dave and I were talking about this one. I watched Intruder. Yes, let's go. Which is about a group of grocery store employees who are at their <laughs> grocery store overnight, and someone begins to murder all of them. I can't get into it because it's pretty. Spo- it, it's yeah, it's pretty spoilery. Talk about without spoiling, but <laughs> maybe some of the most creative kills I've seen so far in '80s horror. I mean, one dude gets stabbed, and you got like, he, and behind him is like a rack of beer cans so you've got blood and beer spewing up at the same time so that was pretty funny um the trash compactor oh yeah the trash compactor was crazy um the meat hook was also insane and then and then like you said like that it all just like that last kill just like completely dropped the ball and yeah. i was like that's it they kind of really? they kind of build up with like a lot of great kills and in the end it's like ah oh, i guess um yeah Anything else, Jack? 
that was it. All right, cool. So great that you segue from Sam Raimi to Sam Raimi and Doctor Strange <laughs> in the Multiverse. Uh, let's not get too into spoilery. Uh, I saw it on Monday. Um, I I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I think there is a plenty of conversations to be had about script script choices. Um, I see some people like this. I actually had a problem with the opening. I felt like it was too frenetic, and you just jump into it without really introducing who America Chavez is. Um, I knew who she was, but there's a lot of people that don't know who America Chavez is. So you're just... And a lot of people that are walking into that may not know about the multiverse, and there are people that don't, are probably be like, mm-hmm. oh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Strange looks very different, and they just killed him off in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. Um, so that aspect I was a little bit off on. Once it became a Sam Raimi movie, because I feel like the first 35, 40 minutes felt like it was a Derrickson cut, and then we just switched over to the Raimi. When we got to the Raimi stuff, it felt like Marvel had his first horror movie. It's Marvel's Evil Dead. Um, there are so many shots that are homage Evil Dead that I was just like such a happy boy. And I, I, I have a feeling that if, if Jack, when you see her, you're going to peep every single homage. They even homage the Evil Dead 2 eye pull. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, yeah, they and do. That's yeah. funny. So that that one I really dug. Um, the cameos, um, I loved. That actually my favorite sequence in the entire movie. Um, mm-hmm. the that whole, whole Illuminati thing. Yeah. Um, Wanda was. I don't. I, I. I don't get the hate on the portrayal this time around. I thought Wanda was. At, well, Elizabeth Olsen was amazing, but I thought Wanda's arc was really good. Is, and I see just a lot of people complaining about she doesn't mention Viz. Like, she cares about her kids. And they kind of tease that she's going after her kids in WandaVision. So people have, like, this short-term memory, even that in the post-credit of WandaVision, she's literally already has the dark hold on her, and she's looking for her kids. So it's like, all right, I you know, like, it's it seems like it's been there. Um, and I don't want to spoil anything else. So, Ryan, I'll, I'll take it to you. What do you think? All right, without spoiling anything... This doesn't feel like a kids' movie half the time. <laughs> no, no, it's the closest no. thing to a. <laughs> like, I it's a kids in front of me, like um, they're gonna have nightmares or they're desensitized. One of the two. <laughs> no, but... <clears throat> sorry. Stop smoking. I really, you know, right? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, there were a few moments I'm like, are they being trippy for the sake of being trippy? Um. Uh, the Illuminati stuff was my favorite scene as well. And it's funny because I'm not sure if it was the crowd I was in or just who we are as Marvel fans now. Because I remember like scenes like that would get cheers. It got like maybe one or two gasps. But no like, whoa! Like so that's some of the cameos. And I'm like, are, am I in the right freaking crowd here? <laughs> so my crowd, which is, I saw it twice, one with critics, one with regular people. I just like doing that with Marvel because critics obviously have a very different reaction mm-hmm. to this stuff. Um, they all did not really mark out in the Illuminati except two specific people. And one, mm-hmm. because everyone's been fucking crazy for this for the past like <laughs> four or five years. Um, I, I, I wanted to, I want to touch on something spoiler, but not yet. But I did want to say in a spoiler part before moving to Leo. Leo, I know you must be so happy that the Inhumans are part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Dude, it's all it's all over. I it's it's yeah, it's I mean, can you think that I I think Anson Mount's 
um, portrayal of this character was, I think, was fine. The show was terrible, <laughs> but like, eh. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think of the movie? I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I love the fact that you called out how frantic it was at the very, very beginning, because I think this is like Disney just like just letting it all hang out and just feeling super like powerful. Where it's like. I'm just going to put this on screen, and if you don't get it, you're the one that's at fault because you should go watch all my other properties and kind of understand where this is coming from. But that's not, like, that's not good movie going. Yeah, do you like, – th- let me ask Jack. I- I'm glad you brought that up because you're lesser of a big, like, MCU fan than, than, mm-hmm. than us. Do you like that, that at this point they're like, if you don't watch this stuff too bad? I mean – I, I, again, it just boils down to me, like, not being such a fan. So, like, I'm not, like, upset about it. Like, I wouldn't expect them to, like, you know, be building segues for new people to come in. Because, like, that just kind of mm-hmm. takes away the order that you're supposed to watch them. Um, so, like, I mean, I don't, I, I don't feel, like, bad about it. Like, I mean, I'm not going to show, I don't think somebody has to just, like, watch Star Wars Episode Two and just instantly get the complete idea of what the whole universe is about. Cause you need like that prior stuff. So, I mean, I understand, but yeah. like, yeah. All right, Leo, keep going. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, but, but I do think this is like one of those, like they're just being cocky. Now they're just saying like, you're going to watch all my other stuff. And if you're not going to want to watch my other stuff, then you're not going to understand what this movie's about. Um, but the rainy stuff, it's funny because, like, I think the only things that I were, like, not too fond of, and I think these are the things that you probably loved, and the things that Jack will probably notice immediately were some of, like, the visual, like, transitions that Raimi loves to do. Love it. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I immediately, I know that that's Raimi. I know I completely understand that's Raimi. I'm like, oh, it's Raimi. But, like, the, the horror element stuff to this was such a good fit. It... It just went really well with the tone of the movie. The acting was really good. I love the fact that you called out the um, the Scarlet Witch arc mm-hmm. that people are complaining about because I know that the main complaint is that the reformed Wanda at the end of WandaVision shouldn't have gone, shouldn't have broken bad the Tech- way she did here. But she did. She did but in WandaVision. That makes perfect sense. That's the <laughs> point of the ending of WandaVision was that she was about to be corrupted by the Darkhold. Like that's... So I guess we have to get into spoiler territory because I do have a question for you. Um, interesting to kill her off when you have when she just signed like an eight movie deal. I don't. I think I don't think I don't think we killed her off though. No, no, of course not, of course not. But I think uh, it's one of those Marvel doing what they do that I hate. It's uh, killing well, yeah, someone off to bring someone back again. I hate. Marvel creates no stakes. At least DC doesn't really do that with their... Well, it's funny because I think that this is going to be like Marvel Studios has now become like Marvel Comics. Where like if you started reading issue 15 of Captain America, like, oh, I want to know what happens. Let me read back the other issues and buy the other issues to understand what's happening. And now there's crossover events that you have to like read other titles that you really don't care about but you just want to read them to understand what's happening yeah I, um and then you're right everyone's going to come back to life but we should have expected that with the fact that this is multiverse though yeah i agree um and then ryan you were going to say something uh yeah no to the point of leo's uh like they cater more toward their audience now that's kind of like what we talk about with 
AEW on the other pod, Dave, where they cater to the hardcore fan, and I think that's what Marvel's doing now is catering more to the hardcore fan. I think the difference. And, but, I think the difference between wrestling and and movies is that they can't function if they continue to just alienate casuals because casuals are well created this monster of the MCU. Let me tell you something. In two thousand eight, maybe Leo and I. Were the ones will walk going, or you, Ryan, were the ones going to these movies. You weren't seeing like casual A and casual B, Joe Schmo going to these movies. They're yeah. the ones that created this monster that we're in right now, not us, to be honest with you. If it wasn't for yeah, casual, it's growing it. With- but, but Dave, do you, do you happen to know how the box office is doing yeah, for this? Two, uh, that's that's th- going to determine everything. 230 is the, it's the first projection for the weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing too. If this if this makes all the money, then Disney's not going to change course. They're just going to keep doing it. I will say I'm split because on one end I want more Raimi in the MCU, and if he his movie makes two hundred thirty million dollars, <laughs> I'm down. But at the other end, I'm like, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know. We have other options to watch. You know, you know if MCU continues to do their thing, it's not like we're not going to watch. Uh, at least for us, at least. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention, spoiler wise, thank you, Marvel. Thank you. I don't want to hear that John Krasinski is not going to be my Reed Richards because I will not watch. <laughs> oh, that's the one thing we forgot to mention on news. John Watson is leaving the Fantastic Four movie, which now after watching um, Doctor Strange, I feel very confident saying John Krasinski is going to be our director and he is now our, our Reed Richards. And I am so excited. That'd be dope. Yeah. Um, anything else, Ryan, before we move on? Um. You know what I didn't like was actually how the end credit scene kind of undid in a sense. Like, it took away the stakes more than anything. Oh. The very end. Like, that annoyed me, and that left a bad taste in my mouth. But the very, very end credit scene was also was awesome. Yeah, I think that they just <laughs> needed to introduce that specific character. But, you know. No, well, I get that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it kind of like you end the way you end, and then all of a sudden, everything's all good. <laughs> Yeah, I get what you mean. Um, all right, cool. So let's move on. That's ever. That's all the news. That's everything we watch. It took about forty-five minutes, but we're finally here. That's how long it took. <laughs> we kind of simulated actually traveling to a galaxy far, far away because it would probably take us a long time. So we are now going to talk about the forty-fifth anniversary of one of the greatest movies of all time, one of the greatest movies of the seventies, one of the greatest movies of the greatest decade of all time, Star Wars. Um, we're gonna. I'm gonna break this down in as simple ways as possible because i kind of want to touch on our thoughts on it because everyone knows everything about this movie so usually i dive a lot into production but i'm just going to touch on some little thoughts here uh regarding production and then we'll get into some of the other aspects of the film um jack cut me off at any moment please because i know you probably know more about the production of this movie than i do um so the the idea for star wars came in 1971 after Lucas finished directing his first movie, THX-138, uh, Lucas wanted to adapt Flash Gordon's space adventures uh, into his own films, having been fascinated by them since he was young. Uh, he was quoted in saying, I especially love Flash Gordon. Uh, of course, I realized how crude and badly done they were. Uh, go fuck yourself. Uh, loving <laughs> Loving them that much when they were so awful, I began to wonder what would happen if they were done really well. Uh, at the Con- at the Cannes Festival following THX 138, uh, Lucas pushed towards buying the Flash Gordon rights, but they were already tied up with Dino De Laurentiis. Dino De Laurentiis, who also has a lot of history with the Halloween franchise. Uh, mm. So, 
Uh, Academy Award winner Francis Ford Coppola, was, uh, who accompanied Lucas in trying to buy Flash Gordon rights, recounted in 1999, stating, George was very depressed because he had just come back and they wouldn't sell him Flash Gordon. And he says, well, I'll just invent my own. Uh, Lucas pursued Adam Ladd Jr., the head of 20th Century Fox, in June 1973, uh, and he completed a deal to write and direct Star Wars. Although Ladd did not grasp the technical aspect of the project, he believed that Lucas was talented, and uh, which led to Lucas stating later on, Ladd invested in me, he did not invest in the movie. The, the deal gave Lucas $150,000 to write and direct the film. Uh, and thanks to American Graffiti's positive reception, a- afforded Lucas the leverage necessary to renegotiate his deal with Ladd and request the sequel rights uh, to the film in August 1973. For Lucas, this deal protected Star Wars potential sequels and most of the merchandising profits, which in turn was the best deal of George Lucas's career yeah. and the worst deal 20th Century Fox ever made. <laughs> Well, well, that also just leads into, like, the entire 1980s of He-Man, Thundercats, Transformers, yep, and, like, My Little Pony, Strawberry Shortcake, and all that kind of stuff. It essentially created the IP era. Yeah. And George Lucas uh, re- recruited many conceptual designers, including this one, this one was my favorite one, Colin Cantwell, who worked on 2001 A Space Odyssey, to conceptualize the initial craft uh, spacecraft models. Uh, Alex... Tavaloris to create the preliminary conceptual storyboard sketches, and Ralph McQuarrie to visualize the characters' costume, props, and scenery. Uh, Star Wars was originally slated to release on Christmas 1976. However, thanks to production delays, which probably were the best thing also that happened to the movie, it was released on May 25th, 1977. And with a budget of $11 million, it grossed $775 million in 1977, what the fuck um now before we get into some of the categories here i just want to kick it off with i'll kick it off with ryan since he he always seems to go last here what are your first thoughts about watching star wars or just uh your first memory of watching star wars um i just remember watching it with my mom so it's kind of awesome that we're doing this on mother's day um <laughs> but we were just like she was the one that introduced me to it, and I fell in love with it like right away. And then they did what they did with the in what was it, 2000 with the re edits or whatever. Uh, yeah. 1997 was the first. So. All right, Leo, what about you? Uh, so I know that's going to be like sacrimonious to say on this uh, on this call, but uh, I was actually a, a Star Trek fan. So I grew up you Star bet. Trek Next Generation. I loved it so much. And like I remember there being this like like Marvel DC rivalry between Star Trek and Star Wars. And I was like, I don't need to watch Star Wars. I knew all that. I knew Darth Vader was Luke's dad. Um, but then when the prequels started to drop, I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me give this a shot. Let me rewatch them. And obviously, you need to, you know, watch the originals. And honestly, I was surprised. I was very surprised with how cool it was. The world building really impressed me. Um, and I, I kind of bought in. I drank the Kool Aid, so to speak. I loved it. Um, I loved the franchise. Loved the prequel. Like, well, enjoyed the prequels, continuing the narrative. Um, Listen, Leo, then- I'm gonna cut you <laughs> off real quick. <laughs> Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is the first movie to teach me about politics and taxation. <laughs> Same, actually. <The> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I'm with you there. I, I'm kind of oh, on this. 
Go, go ahead. And then the one thing that I was looking forward to, and it was just so much like geeking out, was I remember reading one of those trading cards, like a the Star Wars trading card. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading on it that underneath the Darth Vader armor, he's on life support from a battle with Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm like, oh, wow, what the heck happened here? I thought they were like they were friends or something. Um, and then I kind of wanted to see what that would play out like in on film or on screen. So when they said they were going to remake or make the original or the first trilogy, I was like, are they going to show that on screen? Are they going to show that fight that happened with Obi-Wan versus Anakin that made him Darth Vader? Mm -hmm. So when episode three finally came out, it was like, oh, my gosh, I finally get to see this from reading a little trading card back when I was a little kid. Yeah, I think and it was worth the wait. Uh, Jack, what about you? Yeah, so we definitely rented Star Wars from Blockbuster, uh, just to give an idea of how long ago it's been since I've seen it. Um, It was definitely one of the first movies I remember having a strong love for and just wanting to completely uh, learn everything about it. And it was honestly my favorite of the franchise for a long time until Empire recently took over a couple of years back. Um, And it's just really interesting to me. You guys have been talking about it, but... uh, George Lucas himself is such a polarizing figure because on one end he ga- he gives us something that everybody loves and has so much uh, passion and respect for. And then on the other hand, he goes and changes those things in ways that some people might not like. So yeah, well, it's really interesting to see like that whole thing play out. And then also just for Star Wars as a whole, it just it transcends pop culture and it's just a part of American culture at this point. Like. You've got sound effects that people who don't even know what the movies are, they can recognize them, like lightsabers and Darth Vader. People dive so deep into this lore. Like, there are people out there who know what the blue milk is called. I'm not one of those people, but... uh, And most importantly, I think, just overall, people have babies just to show them Star Wars. It's like the Beatles, almost. Um, So, yeah, it's just had such a big impact both on me and just the world entirely. Yeah, same. So for me, I was uh, in third grade. Uh, I was show and tell, and uh, one of my classmates brought the trilogy on VHS. And the way he spoke about it, I was like, huh, this seems very interesting. Um, But not the word interesting. I just said, this looks, this sounds really cool. Uh, So I immediately kind of followed the same suit as Jack. Uh, I had my mom rent me the trilogy. And the rest is history. It's my favorite film franchise of all time. Despite the good and the bad, I can never let it go. Uh, I watched The Bad Batch, so if that shows that my love for it is strong, uh, nothing else will. I agree with everything Jack, Leo, and Ryan have said. I think this movie is transcendent cinema. It's probably one of them in the top three, four most influential movies of all time. If we and, look- and some. And something else I told you, Dave, that I think Star yes, Wars go has a really it. cool flexing point about. It's the sole franchise that debuted on the silver screen because Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter were books. Marvel and DC are comic books and Star Star Trek was a TV show. So yep. it's the one big fandom that actually got its start in the movies, which I always thought is really mm. cool, too. Yeah, I, I, I love that fact. Um, and on top of all the great things that we have all said there's one thing that none of us have said yet which leads us into into our first category which is the maestro's corner where we talk about the music of the film the greatest score my favorite score is empire strikes back but i have no 
yeah. problem saying that this is yeah. the greatest score ever made by the greatest yeah. composer of all time. There is no for me it's Williams, then take some steps down, then we got Zimmer, Bernard Herman, we can go on and on. But I think John Williams is literally the most important composer in cinema history. Uh there's no doubt about it. And this score is I, I can't I can't even describe what this score does to me every single time I watch I, I listen to the to it and watch it. Uh I I I love listening to film scores. I do it at work in the office all the time. And there's like a level of re-listen. You we have rewatchability. Every single John Williams score for, is re-listenable. Like I can listen to mostly everything, especially the Star Wars one. Um, I do have some quick notes on it. Uh, the 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 pieces in the in the score were influenced by the main title, uh, especially the main title theme was inspired by 1942 film King's Row, scored by Eric Wolfgang Korngold. And the track Dune Sea of Tatooine drew from the soundtrack of Bicycle Thieves, scored by Alessandro Siogini. Uh, mm. Go ahead, Jack. You're- the Corn the, the Gold thing actually kind of makes sense because you know what other, other big movie he scored? Who, Williams? The Adventures of Robin Hood. Oh, yeah, that movie. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so very, which also definitely had a big part in the way that lightsaber duels were. Uh, kind of invented yep in terms of the way that they were like stylized so we all know williams is a goat but where do you place this score leo oh dude it's 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 top i mean it's 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 so difficult to like watch this movie and not put the score with it right because there's certain moments in the film that are just enhanced because of the music like i know we're going to get into it later but one of my favorite scenes or one of the scenes that stands out to me is when luke gets back to to his uh to his home and he sees like what happens to to uncle ben and um and beru or no uncle owen and beru um and the music that's playing there is just so somber and just like beautiful that you if you if it didn't hit you in the heartstrings by seeing it, hearing that music got in the feelings. Um, yeah, I mean Williams is yeah, you're right. He's number one. I mean there's there's that man can literally just define a theme just in in musical notes through no matter when he made the movie. Uh, he's ageless. Um, this one I would say the only one. I mean personally, I think the you know Danny Elfman Batman '89. I think is the only one I would have listened to more. Um, and Zimmer's Gladiator for me. Oh, I love but that. This one's for me. For me, this would be number three. This would be top three. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Love it. Um, you guys said it all best. I really took the word right in my mouth. Awesome. And Jack, anything else you want to add? <sighs> yeah, you, you, you just can't over-exaggerate John Williams. I mean, just across the board, everything he's done, he just elevates it beyond belief. Um, and in fact, I think in my like top 10 favorite scores, because I'm also a really big music fan, so Same. movie scores are definitely like a huge thing that I take into account. I think he's got three scores in my top 10, being Jaws, Raiders, Jaws. and Star Wars, which is... Star Wars is my number one for being like the best, but I would say my... Probably my favorite is the Lawrence of Arabia, but yeah, the Star Wars, yeah, the, the Star Wars score is just so it, I, it can't work with anything else. I actually, you made me think about it real quick. I have four Williams in my top ten. I have uh, Star Wars. Actually, no, I have five. I have Star Wars: Empire, mm. E.T., um, 
Raiders, and Jaws. Yeah. So, I mean, he I, I don't know a composer that has a masterpiece score every decade that he's been working. Could you no. think? Like Let this, alone multiple. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, yeah, this guy is un- incredible. So, if you guys have never listened to John Williams, you guys should check him out. Like, it's possible. <laughs> uh, Let's get to the trophy. Let's get to the young, a young musician that has yeah. he has some potential. <laughs> uh, let's get to the trophy room because this is kind of yes. I'm going to skip the. It, it, it had a lot of nominations, a lot of best of the year. I want to focus on the Oscars here for a second. So it was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten Oscars. Yeah. Um, it won visual effects, sound, original score, film editing, costume design, art direction. Nominated for screenplay, did not win. Okay, whatever. Sure. What was it, original? Original, yeah. Yeah, give it to Annie Hall, that's fine. That's fine. Supporting actor, Alec Guinness. Okay, we can pass that. Sure. Here's my problem. You got Best Picture and Best Director. I like Annie Hall just fine. Maybe Persona Non Grata, say you like a Woody Allen film in 2022, but I do like the movie. It is what it is. But there is no way in my mind that it is better than Star Wars. There's, and who would have thought that this was George Lucas's only shot? <laughs> so the fact that he never, you know, I don't, we're going to talk about George Lucas in the age best, age worst area. But I think that there's nothing that tells me that Annie Hall in any aspect is a better movie than Star Wars. Uh, Jack, I know we talked about this off the line, so. Yeah, um. This is just one that I don't understand. Like, the screenplay, yeah, Woody Allen is arguably one of the five best screenwriters of the last 50 years, so that's an obvious win right there. But then picture and director both going to Annie Hall, that's where I don't agree. I think it. I think Star Wars should have won picture, but if it wasn't going to win picture, it should have won director. I think it should have won director regardless, and then if it gets picture... That maybe be a toss up, and if Annie Hall wins picture, but Lucas got directing, I would have been oh, I would have been happy with that turnout, and would have been complaining less now. <laughs> it's kind of the wor- It's kind of the start of the we love the sci-fi film, so we can give you every mm-hmm. tech category, but we don't have to give you picture era because they did. Yeah. They just literally did it with Dune. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, let's get into the fun stuff. What's age the best? Everything. <laughs> Ryan, I'll kick it off with you. What do you have? Uh, hold on one second. Uh, Leia, the score, R2 and C3PO, same people now, the story, Mark Hamill, um, Leo just said it, everything. <laughs> Leo, what do you got? I mean, uh, I put the opening scroll aged ridiculously well, the opening fanfare music aged ridiculously well. These are all like iconic moments that like you watch Family Guy and it has it. You watch like any new TV show and it has it. And it's like, this is where it stemmed from. So those aged well. The concept of a space opera, I think, aged really, really well because it's like, I think after Star Wars and the Star Wars trilogy, the only one that got close was like Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And that was like in the 2000s. So it took like decades for it to come back into play. Um, honestly, the, the practical effects. Even though, like, so much has happened since then, like, the effects are pretty freaking dope, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, lightsabers, I think Jack called it out perfectly. How many of us, like, had a little flashlights and ha- m- mimic the sound of the lightsaber coming out? And now um, and now you can own one. You have, your, 
you I mean, to the point where David, you have actual lightsabers. I do. Um, uh, and uh, I think something that you guys mentioned earlier about the screenplay too is, and I think this aged really well because George Lucas put in so much research to different theologies, different religions when creating the concept of the Force and all this to the fact that this movie can be watched by peoples of all cultures and all religions and they'll have something into this that they can like grasp onto and i think that can't be understated like this movie just and it's entirely the just the, like, the concept of it i think aged really well awesome jack what do you got uh so firstly i've got the opening scene it's entirely the fanfare which anytime i hear the fox fanfare i think about star wars um the opening crawl, obviously awesome, but then the opening scene in general, like that's still being taught in film school today. Um, just like the incredible, I guess, composition of the Death Star just like consuming the frame as it enters. And I'm seeing it in theaters, or I've got plans to see it in theaters in June. It's coming to my local classic theater. And so that's definitely one of the things I'm most excited about. Uh, another thing I have was R2D2 and Chewbacca's character writing. And the fact that they only make beeps and uh, noises, but you can still understand everything that they're saying pretty much through their emotions. So good. And the way that C-3PO and Han Solo's dialogue is written to uh, completely understand what they're saying. Um, Yeah, I also had Princess Leia here, too. I mean, in the time since I can't think of many heroines that get to the level of Princess Leia, the only two that really come to mind for me, at least, are... Ellen Ripley and Imperator Furiosa. So I think I, I would add think... Sarah Connor. Yes. As well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think she just set the bar so high and still owns that character and put so much of herself into that character and certainly has made it stand the test of time. And then obviously John Williams score. Yep. Just mm. never gets old. Alrighty, I'm gonna run through these fast. I promise. Uh, you guys mentioned the <laughs> opening crawl, uh, first appearance of the Star Destroyer, first appearance of Vader, uh, female heroines in film, uh, protocol droids in today's society. I feel like everywhere. Um, I went to, um, I went to, uh, oh my god, uh, that very expensive supermarket. What is that called? Uh, Whole Foods. Is that Whole Foods. So yeah, I went to Whole yeah. Foods a couple of uh in. More of a higher income area, and they actually have uh, robots walking around now as price checkers, and they stop and ask if you need to check your price. And I'm like, okay, cool. So protocol droids are now in supermarkets. Uh, John Williams, like you mentioned, bars, bars in sci-fi films, uh, Blue Milk, <laughs> The Millennium Falcon. Uh, I love this quote. I've always thought this is one of, up there is probably one of my favorite Star Wars quotes. Who's more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? I've always really liked that that quote. Uh, Stormtrooper cosplay. I feel like everyone cosplays as Stormtroopers at Comic-Con now. Um, <laughs> trash compactors. Um, the th- throne room John Williams scores. Uh, John Williams scores at weddings. Shout out to my wedding where I play. I, <laughs> my groomsman and I walked out to the throne room scene playing on the big screen while we were walking to the, to the stage. Um, the final battle of the Death Star and... Something Jack on touched on before film franchises have aged the best. Uh, age yep. of the worst. I do have some stuff here. Um, <laughs> uh, mine's not as much, but I think, you know, it has to be said. Uh, brother and sister romances. Yes. Um, yeah. 
Special Although, edition. did that age badly or aged well, considering Gage of Th- Game of Thrones also That is did. true. That is true. Good <laughs> point. Um, special editions, they can, yeah, they can yeah. rot in hell. Um, okay, I will say that it, it, it's so weird because there's like three different tiers. It's like yeah. the changes that are actually like good. Mm-hmm. For example, Empire Strikes Back, them changing the Palpatine. Yeah, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. And if you guys know, I, I'm sure you guys do know this. Uh, the out of the trilogy, the original trilogy, trilogy, the one that was touched the least by Lucas was Empire Strikes Back. Empire. Yeah, that's yeah, one. That, I think that, that and the and the Boba Fett voice. I think were the only thing that was changed in, in Empire. Um, I mentioned brother and sister romances. This really aggravates me, and this is part of the special edition part. The Obi Wan yell with the Sand People, like that's in the special edition now. It's extremely (laughs) distracting. Um, Obi-Wan's memory has aged really bad. Yes! (laughs) How does he not remember the droids when he just, like, hung out with them for, like, let's just say, like, 15 15 years? Seriously. Um, The entire Jabba the Hutt sequence, because if anyone's familiar, Jabba the Hutt was not in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you first see him in Return of the Jedi is the first time you see him. So I actually own the the specialized version. So like when I have kids and I show them the movie, that's how they're going to see it. I'm going to do four, five, six, one, two, three. So their first experience with Jabba will be the proper way. Um, And what else do I have? Oh, yeah, that's about it. All right. uh, Jack, I'll start with you here. What has aged the worst for you? Well, I only put two things and you touched on one of them, and that's the special editions. Um, I guess I'll go on and elaborate on the other two tiers of, the special editions because then you got stuff like um the one the stuff that's like eh, it's fine you didn't need to change it, but whatever that's like putting hayden christensen at the end of return of the jedi it's like um, with with the new movies like i i can understand it but eh. but then you've got like the java scene and it's just like no it it takes away from the entrance of him in return of the jedi and the only other thing I had in what stage is the worst is some of Mark Hamill's line delivery. Just some of it kind of is like, eh, but it does also show a bit to his growth from being the whiny farm boy to Jedi master. But some of the line deliveries here and there were a little, eh, but other than that, not much to complain. I was kind of just nitpicking there. <laughs> awesome. Leo, what do you got? So Dave, I'm much like you. I also have going girl crazy for your sister. When you see the projection of her, like, oh, she's beautiful. <laughs> uh, and then traveling across the universe to try to protect your sister because you think she's cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> but actually, dude, Jedi Witness Protection Services. You go into <laughs> hiding and you change your name from Obi-Wan Kenobi to, ben to Kenobi. old Ben Kenobi. And no one can find you. <laughs> and we may, we may find out why in a few weeks. Hopefully, um, same like you, Obi Wan not recognizing C three PO or R two D two. Like you can and get then, then, and go then denying he ever owned droids. <laughs> right, um, that's it. Uh, the only one thing that I have here is um, it's just something that when when um when Obi Wan gets to the um, to the the Jawas uh transport, and they start saying he's like, oh no, this was done by 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 uh by stormtroopers because. You can see by the, the the laser marks. He says the phrase, Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. 
which is probably the worst thing that he's ever said. Um, it, it, was, it was that line, and then after he said that, he just jinxed him from here on out. <laughs> Ryan, do you got anything? Uh, I got plenty. Uh, Sam people originally, the original idea behind them. Obi-Wan, like you guys said, Obi-Wan not recognizing R2 and C-3PO. And here's my thing about it. You can try to say, oh, he was playing coy, he was just trying to play cool, but his his face showed genuine emotion when he heard Obi-Wan. No emotion for the droids. That was me. <laughs> Um, uh, drugging women to get the truth that was just uncalled for um, the shooting Greedo shooting first oh, and yeah, of course. not getting the medal yeah if oh, there, that's yeah that's good I'm, and, I mean I'm not as hateful towards Rise of Skywalker but I'm glad they finally got to that in Rise yeah, of Skywalker nice. um, alright cool so let's get to the to the categories and awards okay. here the Joe Spinell Award for that guy. This is like the cakest slam dunk that guy yeah, award. Not even close. Like I don't think it's close for uh, Jack and I spoke about this all week because we were trying to see like is there anyone possibly else but this person and it's fucking Porkins, aka William Hookins. Um, I'm gonna run through and I'm gonna let Jack take the rest. I'm gonna run through five, four movies that he was in outside of Star Wars. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Batman, Superman 4. Actually, I'll just do three. Jack, I know this is your guy, so I'll let you take over there. And his final movie that he's in is 1980's masterpiece, funnily enough, relating to George Lucas, Flash Gordon. Yes! (laughs) He's only in it for, like, two scenes, but he just has, like, the funniest delivery of the line, No! And it's so it just stuck with me, and each time my friends watch it, we always laugh at it. And now I I called him the other day, and I told him I was like, "That dude is Porkins. He he literally just went insane about that." Yeah, and I think everything everything I've seen after Star Wars is I see this guy. I'm like, "Oh shit, it's Porkins." Uh, Leo, <laughs> who do you got here? Uh, so honestly, just because of the timing of when I watched it, and honestly, I, I know this is going to be, like, again, like, oh my gosh, but for me, the That Guy Award goes to the same actor that portrayed Cockknocker in Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back. Um, I have actually Mark Hamill here. I think because... I would have, I, I may have gone with him if he didn't have the Joker. So mm. that's the other thing, too, is his voice then went on to be iconic, yeah. but I think I think as far as acting, he had... He became the trickster in the Flash '90s TV show. Yes, he did. You're um, right. But I'm like, I knew that when I when I first saw Mark Hamill anywhere, I was like, oh wait, that's Luke Skywalker. That's Luke Skywalker. Um, but yes, yeah, so I have him as as that's my a good point guy. for live action. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that. a very good point. Rye, what do you got? Um, I'm probably gonna get shit for this because I haven't seen him in anything else. But Sir Alan McGinnis. Oh Alan my McGinnis. god. Oh, oh man. Oh my god, that is. At least you called him <sighs> sir. <laughs> thank you. At least thank you. At least for doing that. <sighs> I have a headache. Uh, <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Detlef Shrem, six man of the film, best supporting player. Um, I completely cheated here because I think these three people deserve the um some love here. So I went with the guys in the suit. I went with David Prowse. I went with Peter Mayhew, and. Ooh. Not someone in the suit, but someone that doesn't get enough props is Peter Cushing. Because I think his mm. grandma of talking is fantastic. So those are my three best supporting players. And if you're wondering why I haven't said two other people, it's because they're coming up soon. Don't worry about that. Uh, 
Ryan, I'll start with you. Who do you have here? Alec, Sir Alec and, and then Ford. And who? And Harrison Ford. Oh, Harrison Ford. I thought you said Fork. I'm like, I do not know a Fork in Star Wars. <laughs> Leo, what do you got? Uh, my my uh, my sixth man is actually Kenny Baker, uh, R2-D2. Oh, duh, I Kenny think, Baker, duh, I, Anthony uh, Daniels. I think yeah. R2-D2 is low-key the most important character in this movie. Oh, it is. Because yeah. if, yeah. if he doesn't get to Tatooine and doesn't go crazy stubborn to get to freaking Obi-Wan, this movie turns out very differently. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Jack, what do you got? Yeah, I had Kenny Baker too. It's just the R2-D2 pretty much being the best Swiss Army knife in the world, being useful in literally any situation ever. And uh, and then obviously the the banter with C-3PO is also always golden <laughs> in no matter what. So good. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, MVP, the Icebox Award. Um, there's three names here I went with. I'm not like this. This is a movie that like has so many like important important parts. Uh, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and George Lucas. Those are the MVPs for me. I think it's I I I, I feel like we talked about Leia and it it can't be overstated how important Carrie Fisher is to this franchise and just to me as a fan. Um, and her performance is so great in it. So yeah, those are my three. And George Harrison Ford it. Would you consider him an anti-hero per se with his Ooh, beliefs? Yeah. yeah. The first one, yeah. Mm. So I would say he's one of the first anti-heroes, Jack. I think I I I don't, I don't know. It's weird cuz like with anti-heroes you also kind of like root against them. You don't really ever root against Han Solo. Like like That's a good example, point. Like, That's a good point. Like I'm, I I can't say I'm rooting for like Michael the entire way through the Godfather, or like really, like Travis Damn, Bickle I'm... the entire, or like Travis Bickle the entire way through Taxi Driver. Like those are like anti heroes. I think, I think Han Solo gets more of like a transition from maybe more of an anti hero to like when he comes in at the end. I should also say for what's aged the best, probably the best. Like oh, like he's gone, he's not coming back. And then yeah. he comes back. Yeah, it's that's... probably the best like use of that in any movie ever. Because like even t- like ten years after I've first seen it, I still pop off when that happens. Yeah, that's a good point. So... Um, and shame on you, Jack. Not I root for Michael Corleone the entire movie, <laughs> all three. Um... It's when, okay, it's one part. It's part two when I start to distance myself. <laughs> all right, who's your MVP, Leo? So I I went Han Solo straight up, just solo. I went Harrison Ford. Um, so it's funny though because I think Jack, I think to to Harrison Ford's credit, I think his charisma is the only reason we like Solo or don't think of him as yeah. a complete jerk. Excellent point. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. think about the facts of what the dude does. He is a smuggler. He tries yeah. to hustle them for money. <laughs> then he's like leaves them high and dry. Yes, he comes back. But I think he has the makings of a complete douche. But Ford yeah. is just so freaking like charismatic and lovable that it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. But I, I went Han Solo as my MVP. I have a question for Jack before I go to before I go to to Ryan. We've talked about this how Indiana Jones um, oh really God. really doesn't do anything <laughs> in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and if he didn't, and if he wasn't in the movie, the movie ends the same way anyway. And listen, I love Raiders. I adore Raiders. Who's a more important character to the franchise, Jack? Indiana Jones or Han Solo? <laughs> okay it's funny because 
my answer is Han Solo, but my favorite of the two characters is Indiana Jones. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Luke doesn't blow up the de- Luke's Luke's about to die. Luke's about to get shot yeah. until Han Solo stops him. But yeah, I mean, you make you are you make good points about the whole Indiana Jones did nothing in Raiders, but. I can say that so, they make up for it in Temple because I he is absolutely crucial to yeah, saving everybody yeah. in Temple. Uh, but no, that's what about Rye? What who is your MVP? Vader and Leia. Awesome. And then Jack, did you say yours? No. Okay. Uh, interestingly enough, mine are all people behind the scenes. Okay. So you got the editing team: Richard Chu, Marsha Lucas, and uh, Paul Hirsch. Who, if you know. The making of Star Wars was not good. The opening crawl was like five minutes. They introduced Luke way before he's actually introduced. Um, And they basically just went in and made this thing that could have bombed, made it into a freaking masterpiece. So they obviously don't get as much credit as I think they should. Next is Ben Burt, a sound designer. Yes. Going back to what I was saying about the most iconic sounds probably in movie history, just many of them. And then I think the winner is John Williams. Oh, of course. Uh, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, peaks and Valley. This is where um, I think things may get different because we've kind of been on the same <laughs> boat for the most part. All right. So Peak, George Lucas as a director. That ooh. I I will say, and I, I was I was trying to say it earlier, but I didn't have a good time to. But I think the thing that George, George Lucas is an incredible visionary, mm-hmm. but not a good director. I hundred percent agree. And, 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 and I mean, the best example is his Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a George Lucas idea with Steven Spielberg at the chariot doing all the technical stuff. Yep. And so that like it. It's that kind of stuff that he's able to excel at. But, I mean, look at the prequels. So, yeah, not an incredible writer or director, but he he did really well here. And it's, it's still his best direct, directorial effort, without yeah, question. Yeah, that's why I have him there. Um, because Star Wars is the greatest score of all time to most of us, is it the peak for film scores? As much as we uh, love them? Well, even Empire, though. But Empire is Yeah, also and Empire like... is my favorite, so... That um, freaking Imperial March, bro. That Imperial March. <laughs> All right. So this is this is more of a debatable one. Bars and movies. Is it <laughs> is it cocktail or is it Star Wars? Star Wars. <laughs> also, I mean the the bar in um the bar in Raiders is pretty sick. That is, with, I, uh, yeah, that is pretty oh, sick. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, Casa, well, Casablanca is way too. Casablanca is up there too. It's certainly one of the best. It's one of the most entertaining because that basically just opens the door to all of those like curiosity of like, oh, what's that alien from? Like, where's this guy from? So, yeah. and it's cool that like as they've gone on and made like all these different spinoff stuffs, so it's cool to have been able to have seen like some of those aliens in those properties. Like two of the aliens in there are from like the Cartoon Network Clone Wars that came out before Revenge of the Sith back in 04. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So... Right. Definitely a lot of watch value. All right, Ryan, what's your peak? Peak Mark Hamill. Interesting. I I'm actually more surprised you said that because of the Joker stuff. No, Joker and Cockknocker make it hard, but let's be honest, <laughs> this is his best performance. He's so whiny in this. I would think his Empire performance is a little bit better than this. Uh, for me, it's Empire. Yeah. Okay. I can see. Uh, Ra- uh, Leo, what do you got? 
Oh, so it's funny. I know you 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 actually called him out a little bit earlier in this episode, but I have Grand Moff Tarkin as Peter <sighs> by, by Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing did so much hammer. He horror. did so much. Before. Oh wait, you're right. Good point. Good point. I totally yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Excellent point. You're absolutely right. You're totally right. The yep. man has a prestigious career, but this is like yeah the Do the you, peak for him. We haven't done Halloween on a on a deep dive like this. Do you know he was John Carpenter's first choice for Doctor Sam Loomis? Wow! Oh wow! That no, no, uh, Peter Cushing. Cushing. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I but did then he became that. he became too expensive after mm-hmm. after Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw that I saw that he was in the running to be uh, Obi Wan too, but that they preferred his angular face to be uh, to be Tarkin for sure. Uh, and then Jack, what about you? What's your peak here? I uh, I've got three actually. Go for there, it. There, there, there are three things that I thought I was like. I just I don't think they've been done better since first is Alec Guinness it's definitely his last great role we'll go, oh. we got an Oscar nomination for it I don't remember who won but that can certainly be up for debate Matt Painings yeah a, lo- a lost art form is one that I certainly still have a lot of passion for and also this is definitely the biggest conversation probably is this the best use of the hero's journey story structure um just in this movie, or as the trilogy as a whole? Uh well, the whole the whole trilogy, but primarily this movie, because I think this movie certainly just has that whole circle too. So, all right, I have, a, I'm, I want to say yes. I do have a. If it's a singular movie, then I would say yes. If it's an entire run, it's a very interesting thing because I actually do want to say Tony Stark. From Iron Man to Avengers Endgame, I really like his his hero's journey. But the fact that he was supposed to leave after Iron Man three, there was like a whole bunch of stuff there. He wasn't really supposed to come back, and then you know, so I think I think I may go with you there. Or if I really want to really give you a perfect count of Michael Corleone's rise to uh, a hero, I think that's probably my my choice, Jack. Okay, I'm totally joking. <laughs> Leo, do, do do you disagree or agree? So it's funny. I'm I'm, I'm torn because it, it, right right even in the same franchise, like Kylo Ren's arc was a little bit more filled, and even Anakin's arc to come back around after Darth Vader and to turn to good. I don't know. I don't. Hmm. I I don't it's know. An interesting conversation. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is. Ryan, do you have any thoughts? No, honestly, I'm I, I'm at a loss of words. All right, that's a good one though. Uh, yeah, that's a great. That's a great. Question. That's a good one. Do you have any more for Peak, or was that your third? That was it. That was it. All right, Valley. Uh, Harrison Ford, like. Yeah, not even. Yeah, yeah like, not even close. Yep. Dude, yeah. I, I've got it written down. Can I hit the sixteen-year run? Yeah. No. No. Please do. All right. So starting in 1973 and ending in 1989, <clears throat> American Graffiti, The Conversation, Star Wars, Apocalypse Now, Empire Strikes Back. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Blade Runner, Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom, Witness, Mosquito Coast, Working Girl, Last Crusade, and he was also in a deleted scene for E.T., so had that not been deleted, he would have had that on his resume, too. Wow. Can we, can we continue a little bit more and also talk you about his... Deeper. Yeah, yeah so... The Fugitive in 93. Yeah, I was going to go up to 93, so we had the Jack Ryan stuff, and mm-hmm. then we also had... And we finish up with The Fugitive where... I think it's probably best dramatic performance. Uh, 
Yeah. So yeah, Harrison Ford is. I do have two other options too, if we want to want to test that out. But uh, does anyone not have Harrison Ford as their main option? Uh, Ryan, do you you're good there too? Yeah, I got Harrison Ford. All right, cool. So I want to make a case for Blue Milk, um, <laughs> <laughs> because I've been to Galaxy's Edge and Blue Milk has I think it's now surpassed just the Star Wars new uh, film. Blue Milk is delicious. Um, it's absolutely one of the best things that I've ever had at a Disney park, and I highly recommend it to all. So I want to put that as a nice little valley Wait, for there. Hey, so do, 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 I know Jack said it earlier. Do you know what it's really called? Like, or do you call it blue milk? I don't know what I call it blue milk. I know what's in okay. it. I know what's in it, but I don't. I don't have no idea what the actual name is. Uh, film franchises. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean. There were like stuff before. I mean, like the Universal movies, like Frankenstein and yeah, Dragon. the Universal they, they monsters had franchises and stuff. But the real like profitability and like potential that they saw of like like you said earlier, IPs that mm-hmm. definitely came to fruition with the success of Star Wars. So before we finish off with uh, some fun facts about the movie, there has been a lot of satirical adaptations of star wars <laughs> i wasn't gonna go through everyone but what i will do is ask what your favorite is so um i know what Jax is so i'm gonna leave him for last ryan what's your favorite satirical use of star wars spaceballs easy spaceballs oh, okay. yeah i just remember that one too spaceballs, Leo, spaceballs. so spaceballs. for me i can never decide between family guy and spaceballs but I, since I know what Jack is about to talk about, I'm going to go with Spaceballs as well. So go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, Family Guy, Star Wars, the entire trilogy is just, <laughs> it's so golden because you can definitely see, like, that Seth MacFarlane loves the movies. Like, there's some really mm-hmm. good jokes that are actually, like, re-watching the movies. It's like, wow, that actually, like, works. Like, there was one from... Um, like when they're on Hoth in Empire, uh, there's a line that's like fire giant boob nipple gun. And it's like that gun that's in like the circular casing. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> so I just love his uh, his references to the actual like lore and all that stuff. So it's definitely really good. And Spaceballs, obviously, I'm a huge Mel Brooks fan. So oh, nice. that was my first Mel Brooks movie, too. So Same for me. Uh, yeah. What is your favorite of the trilogy for, for Family Guy? I think I got to go with Empire again too, but all but I love all three of them a lot. Blue Harvest is also great. Awesome. And all then, right. Yeah. Um, and then obviously there's been a ton of documentaries about the movie, a ton of comic books, artwork, um, video games, a lot of uh, articles re- and classes actually in universities taught about like the the themes of Star Wars, the science behind Star Wars, the politics and religion aspects about Star Wars. I've always talked about how. The, pre- the prequel trilogy for me feels like the rise of the dictatorship or the rise of Nazi Germany and Hitler uh, parallels the rise of the Empire and, and Palpatine. Uh, so there's a lot of digging into the actual themes of the movies, but we don't have time for that because that would lead us to have a nine hour podcast. So <laughs> we're going to finish up with some fun facts about the movie. Like I mentioned at the start of the show, I wanted to try to do as many as that some may not know uh so i'm gonna start off with this one george lucas was so sure this movie would flop that instead of attending the premiere he went on vacation to hawaii with steven spielberg and you want to know what happened (laughs) at that trip they came up with the idea for raiders of the lost ark Mm -hmm. 
Next up, in the early best vacation of his life, and probably one of Spielberg's best vacations. Um, Number two, in early drafts of the script, R2-D2 could speak standard English. Wow. And he had... I mean, I would certainly... I would certainly like sub. I would certainly like a cut with subtitles that show what he's actually saying, because I've always I've always seen like YouTube videos where it's like what he's actually saying. It's just like absurd lines of dialogue. But I'm like, yeah, I could buy it from R2. Yeah, um, no, I'm yeah. with you. And then all of his English speech was removed. However, three PO's reactions were left in. So I think that that dynamic works really well. Uh, yeah. This is more. This as, this one's more on the business aspect of it. Um, we all I mentioned before, like uh, Lucas accepted a lower salary to get a full merchandising rice. A lot of people during the era thought it was pretty much a fool's gamble because during that era, merchandising was not a thing for any film, especially mm-hmm. for toys. Obviously, it turned out to be such a phenomenon that this pretty much set the merchandising for films going forward. Yeah. Uh, next up, according to Harrison Ford, during the making of the movie, he and Mark Hamill would usually fool around and not commit to their work. However, when Alec Guinness was on set, um, they behaved. They were on their P's and Q has always behaved just because of the respect they have for Sir Alec Guinness. Uh, prior to the uh, prior to the release, George Lucas showed an early rough cut to a group of his movie director friends. Do you happen to know? I'll test Jack here because I think Jack will know. Do you know who was in that screening? Um, I know a lot of the movie brats were like Brian De Palma, Steven yep. Spielberg. Uh, yeah. Uh, so De Palma, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure the only person who liked it at that screening was Steven Spielberg. Yes. Everybody yeah. else everybody else had issues with it. Yeah. I have two quotes. Brian De Palma called it the worst movie he's ever seen. Uh, he also said that he thought the movie would flop, while Spielberg actually admitted, said that he thought it was going to be the biggest movie of all time. <laughs> Which, wow. shout out to one of the goats. Uh, th- this is the f- Star Wars is the first movie to make 300 million domestic. It's also the first movie to cross 500 billion dollars, 500 million dollars worldwide on its initial release. Now, this what? is this is interesting. Peter Mayhew and David Prowse were given the choice of which giant character they would play. <laughs> and with Mayhew going on the con scene so often, would have been before he passed away. It would have been interesting how much more love he would have gotten if he was Vader, even though Chewie does is is uh, very popular this is the second most attended movie of all time to this day in american film history wow 178 million tickets were sold for this movie and it's in its various theatrical runs and uh uh, with inflation it's gross 1.48 billion dollars in ticket prices now i know jack is gonna know this so i'm not gonna ask Mm. him yeah okay do you know the only other movie the only movie to sell more tickets in star wars like 90 percent sure i know what it is (laughs) i'm i'm not shocked i'm actually not shocked because of the era how tickets how cheap tickets were and how big this movie was um ryan do you have any guesses while leo thinks i'm i want to say batman but i know that's wrong no that is very wrong (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm going either the, what, E.T. or Jaws. No, Gone with the Wind. It's, Gone with the Wind. Oh, yeah. yeah, that makes it, sense. That it's makes sold, sense. Yeah, that was really wrong. It sold 202 million tickets in its entire run. Yeah, fucking insane. That's insane. And it's, it's yeah. even crazier when you know it's a f- close to four-hour movie. So mm-hmm. it just shows how impressive that was. Uh, next up, Darth Vader only has 12 minutes of screen time in this movie. Yeah. 
Uh, next up, according to the Blu-ray commentary, much of the Millennium Falcon made up of junk parts from cars and airplanes, much of which were obtained from dumping grounds. Uh, next up, George Lucas planned the score. This is this is actually my favorite because I love how important the score is. George Lucas originally planned to score oh, yeah. this movie with existing classical music in similar fashion to Stanley Kubrick films, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey and Steven and um, and Clockwork Orange. So oh, ended wow. up, he ended up changing. Steven Spielberg introduced him to John Williams and that eventually led to their partnership and the rest is history. Um, I'm this I did not know. I was actually surprised because at cons towards the end of his life, he was very pushing the Darth Vader aspect. David Prowse was actually disgruntled more than 20 years after the movie's release about the fact that his voice was replaced by James Earl Jones, which we never talked about the entire or Darth <laughs> Vader the entire run, which is surprising. Um, I understand his frustration per se, but James Earl Jones is that that's Darth Vader. There's no, yeah, there's. Yeah. I don't think it would have had the impact of the menace of Darth Vader without his voice there. Um, in 2010, George Lucas sent Damian Lindelof and Carton Cuse, the executive producers of Lost, a letter congratulating them on the show's end and letting them in on some pos- on secrets about his development of Star Wars. Quote, don't tell anyone, but when the Star Wars first came out, I didn't know where it was going either. The trick is to pretend you've planned the whole thing out in advance, throw in some father issues and references to other stories. Let's call them homages, and you've got a series. <laughs> All right. Question. I got about five more to go. Question. Uh, obviously, Mark Hamill got the part. Do you know who auditioned and was turned down for the role of Luke Skywalker? Who was also Mark Hamill's roommate and told Mark Hamill to audition for the role? Oh wow! And it's it's not a no name. It's actually a very important actor to the 1980s horror scene. I don't know Robert Englund. Oh what? wow! Yeah, that was that was uh that was awesome. I, I Robert Englund has actually told this story at cons, but just so I had to make sure I noted that down. Uh, next up, the only movie out of the first six where one of the characters refers to droids as robots on screen. Uh, next up, Carrie Fisher confirmed in her autobiography that she dis- disliked the bagel bun hairstyle she wore as Princess Leia. However, prior to filming, the studio had requested that she lose some weight first, which she hadn't. Out of fear of being fired for her, she was eager to comply with everything else that the studio and George Lucas wanted. Um, this is the opening sentence of the 13-page treatment Lucas wrote in 1972. Quote, the story of Mace Windu. A revered Jedi Bindu of Apuchi, who is related to Us- Usbi C.J. Thap, a Padawan learner to the famed Jedi. George Lucas spent nearly three years rewriting before he completed the script for the movie. Although most of the early script was ultimately unused, the characters of Mace Windu and the term Padawan ended up coming up in the prequels trilogy. The first two drafts of the screenplay ripped off Flash Gordon and Frank Herbert's Dune. Which I still think it kind of rips off Flash Gordon in some aspects. What yeah, do you think, yeah. Jack? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so unlike Sir Alec Guinness, who grew to regret appearing in the movie, Peter Cushing, who was longtime star of genre movies, as we mentioned before, was pleased to be part of the movie. His only regret was he could never appear in any of the sequels. Uh, this was a fun, fun one in terms of the fact that we used to have on the website a. Uh, repost every couple of days and this article 
uh, popped up at least three times a week. Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford had a three-month set, a love affair on the set of Star Wars. And when Carrie Fisher approached Harrison Ford before the her memoir came out, he reportedly said, uh, lawyer. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure he was just joking about that. <laughs> this is the se- second science fiction picture to be nominated for Best Picture. Jack, what's the first? And I don't think this is a science fiction picture either. Well, the other one. This is like the Silence of the Lambs discussion with the horror. Oh, I don't think it's into this yeah, genre. I don't particularly think it's a science fiction, but uh, I I can't think of it. What is it? Clockwork Orange. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's science fiction, but whatever. Um, and like the, you know. the last, the last, actually, last three. Not only do Leia and Obi Wan not meet. They do not meet at any point in the original trilogy. In fact, the only time Leia and Obi-Wan are on the screen together is in Star Wars Episode Episode 3 when Leia is born. And then the last last two, one of them being a uh, voice imitation by me. Uh, here is every woman that was considered to play Carrie Fisher. Karen Allen, Nancy Allen, Christine Baranski, Kim Basinger, Bonnie Bedelia, Glenn Close, Gina Davis, Farrah Fawcett, Melanie Griffith, Barbara Hershey, Catherine Hicks, Angel- Angelica Houston, Margot Margot Kidder, Christine Lighty, Jessica Lang, Kay Lenz, Bernadette Peters, Jane Seymour, Sybil Shepard, PJ Soul, Sissy Spacek, Meryl Streep, Kathleen Turner, Sigourney Weaver, Diane Weiss, Deborah Winger. They all auditioned for the role of, of Princess Leia. Also, Linda Blair, Pamela Sue Martin, and Teresa Russell and Jill Clayburgh were also considered for the role of Leia. Out of all those names, who do you think would have been just as good? I say no one because I just feel like that's just yeah. Engraved in Carrie Fisher. I, the one I would have liked to have seen the most would probably probably be Margot Kidder. Um, uh, I, yeah. What? Don't agree there. Not, not a big fan of for Lois Lane. Understandable. Um, just, Jessica Lang for me. The Gordon Weaver's one is also kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think anybody would really come close to Carrie Fisher at all. Agreed. Uh, and then finally. My favorite one out of any fact outside the score one. Al Pacino rejected Star Wars because he did not understand the inner workings of Lucas' cosmic universe while Sylvester Stallone auditioned for Han Solo but lost out for Harrison Ford. Now, can you imagine Al Pacino? Who was Pacino considered for? Han Solo. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you, you never heard of the Millennium Falcon! And I don't even know that's not Pacino yet because this he has the nasal voice. He still has the like he has the nasal voice. I can't I can't I can't do the nasally Pacino. Yeah, that that, that's definitely one that you got to work on. Everybody can do the '80s and '90s Pacino. I think like the only thing I could think of is like when he talks to Frank Pantangeli, when he's like in my home. Yeah, or or like in uh, I think it's Serpico. It's he he just goes like unfair, unfair. Yeah. Just something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the interesting one would be Stallone as Han yeah. Solo. You never, hey, yo. Hey, yo. You never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Um, but yeah, that's all the facts that I have. Is there anything that I missed that you guys want to touch on before we end it? No, I got nothing. Yeah, I think you. I think you covered pretty much about anything, uh, or about everything. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think the last thing we can say, I think it's one of the best movies of all time. 
we didn't talk a lot about Vader, and it just shows. I think actually shows the power of the film that we were able to actually mm-hmm. talk for about an hour about the movie without even mentioning the how, how great Vader was. I think this trilogy makes him one of the greatest films of all time. I think the prequels lessen that effect a little bit in terms of like how important of a villain he is. I think right now they're trying to fix that reputation with his appearance in Rogue One. I bet you what they're what they're probably going to do with him in, in the Ahsoka show and then the Obi-Wan show. I think they're trying to fix that. Um, but I think his reputation as a villain took a real big hit with the prequel trilogy. Uh, but you can't deny his first appearance is one of the best ever. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Alrighty. So, cool. So that wraps everything up for this week. This was a great, great discussion, guys. Uh, next week, we're bringing back Chopped Off for, for the month of May where we're going to continue diving into John Carpenter as we look at Prince of Darkness, which I'm very curious to Jack's reaction because this is this is a very little known by non-horror fans John Carpenter film, so I'm very curious at your thoughts. Uh, but yeah, uh, Jack, I know you want to plug season three? Yeah, uh, be sure to check out the League of Cinephiles on YouTube. We're about to begin season three, uh, and we've got a lot of really interesting stuff coming up. Uh, and then also be sure to check out the Critics Circle on Instagram at the Critics Circle. Awesome. And Ryan, I know what you want to plug. <laughs> check out Main Event Roundtable. Leo, do you want to plug anything? I want to plug uh, Real Talk and Real Chronicles. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you can follow me at Real Talk Inc. You can follow. Our new podcast at Chop Talk Horror. You can also check out my reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, realtalking.com, uh, all that fun stuff. Until then, see you in a galaxy far, far away, kids. Mm-hmm.